So I'm going <clears> to <throat> date myself here a little bit. If you're uh, <clears throat> my age, uh, I'm 57. Uh, or if you're a little bit older, or maybe a few years younger, how many of you remember this would be certainly the 1970s. I think it was also the 60s. Um, remember on TV, on Channel 9, uh, WOR, remember the, uh, the Million Dollar Movie? Um, this was uh, <clears throat> it's kind of simple, really. It was just, uh, my, my recollection is, I think it was m m Monday through for weeknights. Weeknights at 8 o'clock in the evening. They just they showed a movie. Um, it was WOR, and certainly I remember this. Back then, the Mets were on WOR, so during, during baseball season, Met games would preempt uh, the Million Dollar Movie. Or if there were rainouts, uh, the Million Dollar Movie would suddenly appear. But this was long before Turner Classic Movies and AMC. It was kind of a big deal in a way. I mean, we're, we're used to what we've got now, but you know, there was no cable back then. There was no downloading movies whenever you wanted, whatever movie you wanted. No DVDs, no VCRs. You kind of had no say. Like, whatever was on was on, and that was it. So anyway, that was the million dollar movie. Um, and it was usually kind of, my memory is, it was sort of older movies. Well, there was this one that I, I remember. I, I Somehow I feel like this used to be on a lot, this particular film. And it was pretty old, even by, even in the 1970s, it was, seemed like an old movie. I suspect it was the 1940s or maybe even the 30s. James Cagney was in it. And I don't even remember the name of it. Um, and it wasn't, I don't think it was one of his big ones, because most of those I think I know. But he played this guy who's been uh, sent to prison. He's a tough guy. I mean, he's, as James Cagney, characters often were, but he's kind of a good guy. And he's innocent. So he arrives in this prison, which looks like a pretty awful place, and he, uh, this scene, he's in his cell for the first couple of minutes, I guess, and his cellmate is talking to him and explaining to him the rules, basically. Kind of life in the big house. Pretty much how to survive. Um, what to do, what not to do, and he specifically warns him about this one inmate who's kind of king of the prison. This guy runs the place. He's feared by everybody. Nobody, nobody messes with this guy. Even, even some of the guards are intimidated by this guy and his, his influence. So he's warning Cagney about this guy. Stay clear of him. And this is a pretty cool scene where he's doing that. The guy's talking away with all these warnings, and the cameras, you don't see that guy, you just hear him. You see Cagney's face, and he's listening to this. And if you just look at his eyes, you can tell, you know something's up. Like you know he's thinking as he's being warned about this guy. He doesn't say a word, but the look in his eyes is like, Something's coming with this guy. Anyway, the next scene, they're in the, the, the cafeteria, wherever they eat. And Cagney sees this guy sitting across the, the room, and he gets up out of his seat, which he's not even supposed to do, walks over to this guy, and punches him right in the face. 
knocks him off his feet. This guy was huge, twice the size of Cagney. And he just sits back down. This guy's out cold on the floor. The inmates are stunned. They cannot believe what they've just seen. This guy who was most feared has now been toppled, like in a moment. And you realize what Cagney's MO was. Let me find the biggest, the baddest, the most dangerous, and I'll knock him out. And there'll be no more fear. Like in one moment, like the whole balance of power shifts. Not so much really to Cagney, but more just away from this guy. Like I said, I don't even know the name of this movie, and I don't even know if it's that good a movie. But I remember that scene as a little kid in this one moment. Oh, and then, and then you see right after the guy's been knocked out, the cameras go to all these other inmates who witnessed this. First it's shock, the look, and then it's like relief. The look in their eyes is like, this guy's done. The fear has been taken away. Remember when Dorothy threw the bucket of water on the witch? She melted the witch. Remember the, remember the reaction of the witch's soldiers, the witch's army? They were thrilled. Dorothy becomes the hero because she melted the witch. And there's something about toppling the, the villains, isn't there? I'll date myself again. This isn't the movies, this is, uh, this is real life. August 1977, I was 12. If you're old enough, you probably remember that summer, if you were anywhere near, near New York. The summer of 77 was pretty awful. If you remember, there was a, uh, was a terrible heat wave, terrible blackout, which then resulted in horrible looting. Tom Siva got traded by the Mets. It was pretty bad. As bad as that was, uh, there was a serial killer on the loose, the son of Sam. And for a year, he terrorized, kind of paralyzed, New York City and beyond, even, even out here. He was killing these people and it wasn't that far from, I was in Floral Park and it wasn't that far from there and that scared the life out of me as a little kid. And then they got him. I'm telling you, I remember where I was when they got him. And I remember how I felt, like crazy sense of relief. I was sleeping over at my friend's house. There was a bunch of us in, like, in the basement. And I remember my friend's mom came in and said they got him. And it was just overwhelming sense of relief. Like the villain was done. Whether it's James Cagney or Dorothy or the NYPD. Stopping the villain is a big deal. It's important. 
It's what we remember. And I think it keeps us going. It's also what this great feast is pretty much about, it seems to me. It's Easter. It's about the biggest villain being knocked out. It's about overcoming fear. Well, consider this. The first, first century Palestine, the Roman Empire. You know who was feared most? The Roman Empire. People lived in fear of the Roman government because they had all the power. They say, or historians say, crucifixion was the worst. Like they say, it was, it's probably the most effective method of execution ever. Like they perfected it. There wasn't a worse way of dying and it was public, intentionally public. The Roman Empire wanted people to see, this is what happens to you if you mess with us. It kept people in line. And Jesus topples it. Jesus takes it out. Good Friday, two, two days ago, a day and a half ago, it didn't look like that. It looked like one more uncontested victory for the cross and for the Roman Empire. But then night fell on Good Friday and something happened. You know, last night we had the, the Easter vigil and it's great, it's great liturgy. It begins in the dark, church is totally dark. Well, that's the darkness of Good Friday. That's the darkness of sin. Sin makes life dark. And then the, the liturgy begins with one light. And then from that light, other candles are lit. And this light topples the dark. Question is, it seems to me, do we really believe that? Do we really believe in the resurrection? I mean, we know about it. We know, we've known about it so long, we probably don't remember not knowing it. We were told about it as kids before we even understood it. But do we really believe it happened? Some today say, that nah, didn't really happen. It was just kind of a, it's very symbolic. It's a great story, kind of like The Wizard of Oz. It's a great, maybe it's just a great myth, this resurrection thing. You know what? People don't die for myths. Mythology's got no martyrs. I don't know anybody who ever died for Zeus. But we have martyrs. We have 20 centuries of them. You know, if it was a myth, think about this, if it was a myth, say they just made it up. The apostles, they committed themselves to this guy. Good Friday happens, it blows up. They realize this was a, this was a waste. He was a fraud. We were fools. We gave up our jobs. We, gave, we left our lives to follow him. 
and it's done on Good Friday. So maybe they get together and they, they, so they regroup and say, we gotta save face here. We'll tell people he rose from the dead and he's gone. So he wasn't a fraud, he rose from the dead. And we weren't fools. And imagine maybe they, they think, hey, come on, we, we, that's possible, right? We will, don't you try to save face when you, when you do something stupid? When you do something embarrassing, if you get caught, don't you want to try and twist it and make it look less embarrassing? We make stuff up to save face. Let's say for a moment they did that. And a couple of years passed, and now persecution has come toward them. What they were doing to, what they did to Jesus is now right around the corner for them. If they keep saying Jesus was real and Jesus rose from the dead, what do you think they'd continue that? Don't you think at a certain point they'd say, okay, let's ditch this myth thing, or we're going to be as dead as he was? And then here's this piece. The witnesses, the ones who witnessed the empty tomb. At daybreak, the women who had come from Galilee with Jesus took the spices that they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away, but when they entered, they didn't find the body. Then they returned and announced this to the 11. So they were the witnesses. They were the first ones there and saw that he wasn't there. Okay, that makes sense, right? We listen to this in a, from a, a modern perspective. We're like, great. These group of women who showed up, they were the witnesses and they spread the word. Well, first century Palestine, there's no way, if this thing was made up, they were women witnesses. Because at that time, women weren't taken seriously at all. They would never be considered a legitimate, credible witness. As crazy as it was, that's the way it was. It was a long time ago. If you were trying to create some believable story, you wouldn't have a, a three-year-old be the witness, would you? You'd be like, wow, some three-year-old kid. There's no way. Who's believing that? That's the way they looked at women 20 centuries ago. So if they're making this thing up, there's no way women were the witnesses. So we know this happened. Everything suggests that this happened. And because of that, we shouldn't be afraid Because the thing to fear, the one to fear, has been toppled. We know what happened, but despite knowing it happened and despite it making sense and almost being like provable, we still doubt at times, don't we, in certain ways? We question, man, what if this isn't true? <gasps> what if it is a great story? What if it's like the Wizard of Oz? What if it's just a myth? You know what happens when you have your doubts? You know what we should do? Just go looking for more witnesses. Let me tell you about one that I spoke with uh, about two weeks ago. She's a woman who lives down here on the island. Lived here for years. She told me two weeks ago that she has cancer. She's in her early 90s. She made it a point to catch me after Mass. She's at Mass every day. 
And she just told me, but she looked so calm. And she said that uh, surgery is not realistic. They're going to do chemo, but. I mean, she said to me, I'm not scared. I didn't ask her. I didn't say, are you scared? But she just told me. She said, I'm not scared. She was honest. She said, I'm hoping the, I'm hoping the chemo doesn't beat me up too much. But I'm not afraid of dying. She's not. And I know why. It's not because she's 92 years old. It's because she's just another great witness. Like those first bunch of women. She's just the most recent. Because she knows he rose. She knows he beat death. Just as much as those first century witnesses. So what scares you? I think that's an important question. What scares you? I mean, lots of things scare us, right? But what's the big stuff? What's this, what makes you anxious? What keeps you up at night? What's your villain? He's been toppled. He's been declawed and defanged. Short term, yeah, sometimes the villains take hold. But big picture, no, they don't. You know, last night at that Easter Vigil, it begins, like I told you, in the dark. And uh, there's this prayer. This, they call it, it's like, a, it's like a proclamation. They call it the exalted. And it's like this 5th, 6th century, really long, it's kind of like a poem that describes Easter and the meaning of it. There's a lot, it's very poetic, very kind of dramatic imagery. This was one quick little description. This is the night when Christ broke the prison bars of death. I love that. When this is the night and the day when Christ broke the prison bars of death. My friend with the cancer, she knows that. I want her certainty. I want her faith. I want her fearlessness. Don't you? 